Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Just, just, just don't waste time. Make use of, of every second. And if it's not watching something in the theater, it's watching something on, on you know, cable at home. Um, uh, watching television, knowing if you're going to be a casting director today, you have a lot to watch and a lot of actors to, to, to learn. And go to the theater, please go to the theater. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Thank you again so much for all your support, all your FedExes, all your emails, all your texts, your tweets. It's just incredible how great all of you are. I can't say it enough. This show is nothing without all of you, and it's just been so humbling how amazingly supportive you all have been and I am so grateful and I will never stop saying that and today is a really great day because we don't oftentimes get casting directors to come on the show and as I sit across from Deb Aquila I am really really excited because I am essentially three feet away from one of the greatest casting directors of my or any generation. Somebody who has worked with the most amazing film studios and respected television networks and outstanding writers and groundbreaking directors and producers. But not only that, She's somebody who's worked with some of the greatest and extraordinary actors and actresses of the last three decades. Yet, when I sit across from Deb, and for those of us who have had the pleasure to be around her, to hang out with her, to do business with her, or to simply 
be associated with anything having to do with any project that she's involved with. We all feel the same thing. We feel that this is somebody who is grounded, who works in the trenches of the Hollywood system every day, yet she's on the side of the actor. She's on the side of finding the person who is going to be best suited for the project she's working on. But in the process, she always appears to have an eye on trying to figure out how to make a difference to every actor and actress that walk into the room and read with her. And that's something that distinguishes her from everybody else. She is just a person who it almost feels like every time you're with her, she shares the same excitement and enthusiasm and butterflies and anxiety and drive that she had when she first started in the business. And when you can be that kind of person, yet figure out a way to be a part of projects like Sex, Lies, and Videotape, La La Land, the Shawshank Redemption. You're talking about being around the most incredibly talented people in all phases of production that exist in this town. And this is somebody who started working with Steven Sodenberg in the very beginning of her career. We're talking about somebody who was hanging out with Stella Adler for six years and started as a teenager. At every phase of her life, Deb Aquila has worked with the four seasons of actors, writers, directors, producers, film studios, and networks. How does that happen? It happens because you have a personality that allows you to navigate through some of the most difficult situations in the world, a mindset that you're always going to persevere and find the greatest actor for the project, even if you feel you're on the verge of getting fired because it's taken a month longer to find that person and a personality and character that far exceeds the level of most people when they look in the mirror. And a level of heart and emotional intelligence that I would presume most of us, when we look in the mirror, have only a fraction of what Deb Aquila has. And so 
as I sit here about to interview her for this podcast, it seems pretty clear to me that she's the kind of person that that lives with the philosophy that no matter what happens, if the movie or television show she's working on turns out to be one of the greatest in history or turns out to be something less than what she anticipated it would be, when that project is finished, she has the mindset where she cleans the slate and she starts over zero zero with the same intensity that she did when she started the previous project. And if you can figure out how to have the kind of qualities that Deb Aquila has and how she navigates with some of the greatest people in her profession, if you can do that in your profession, I can tell you I can assure you that you will have the opportunity to have the kind of career that Deb Aquila has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone. This is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Now on the air. Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Obviously, in every profession, we all want to be like brain surgeons and never make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Can you share a story where somebody came in and not somebody who just wasn't prepared, somebody who was prepared and really prepared it and they just whiffed? Another person might have thought they did a good job, but you just thought... Don't quit your day job or else you might have thought you're good, but you're not right for this. And I don't think you're at the level right now where you're going to make an impact on this business. And a year later, you see them as the lead in just say like how you see Matthew McConaughey. He's not doing anything and he's the lead in a time to kill. And you're like, holy shit, where did this guy come well, you from? See, that leads back to that story. Right. So, you know, it, maybe they weren't ready at that time. Right. Maybe they weren't right for that role. You can always recognize talent. Right. Um, sometimes they're not ready. In your profession, are there people like yourself who don't recognize somebody who goes in over and over again and he just doesn't get the gig and then something happens and another casting director says, I know you've had tough luck here, but I'm going to give you a shot in this one. And they score when given the shot, but they're just a bad auditioner. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's it's. But that's why you have to see it's a, it, again, it's a complicated question. Yes, for sure. But that's why you have to see as much as you can. You have to sort of casting's hard. <laughs> it's you you have to see everything. You have to you you have to be very present when you're in that room. And if you're on the fence or if this person, you know, here here's something I I did learn. There are certain representatives with whom you work over and over again, and if they say to me, pay attention, and they had a bad audition, um, just like that example of that young man, 
um, I'll immediately ask for supporting material because maybe some people are bad auditioners, right? They get really nervous in the room, which you can sort of feel when you're there, you know? People like Clint Eastwood won't even go in the room anymore. A lot of folks, you know, they have audition anxiety too. Um, you know, that um, it takes a great amount of empathy to be in that room, right? I mean, if you're good at what you do and not just, you know, dismissive. I, I don't appreciate that. These These folks have a really hard job. And you work with so many great, great directors. Has there always been one director, like Letterman used to say when he had a show, he always wanted certain people on the show and they didn't get on the show. And then finally, when they were on the show, he was overjoyed. Are there certain directors that you look at that you have enormous respect for? And before you retire in 40 years, you'd like to work with? Look, we've we've there there are a plethora of directors with whom I, I, I would love to experience, you know, hearing them in a room. We've um, we've been pretty blessed with with um, directors who really love actors. I think I had one or two experiences in my career, and I have to say this honestly, where I did not enjoy the experience, mostly because um, I, I'm Again, I'm going to say it again. Those folks that put put it on the line every day in every room, they have a really hard job. We have we have to we have to be there to help them, right? I, to create a safe enough environment where they can actually do their job well, right? Now, if if, if you want to say non um, altruistically. Uh, you're fabulous in the room. I get to see. I get to go home and see my kids, right? If it's um, if it's just completely solipsistic in that way, okay, great. You did a great job. I get to see my kids, but you know, um, we're we are there to support. Now, again, that's going to sound Pollyanna, but there's a there's there's a belief system with regard to those actors where they know that they are safe in certain rooms now i don't, i can't say for every room right and i know that television is very different um and we had a, we had our experiences in television and that took a lot of getting used to for me even in the insanity that was the casting process of Miami Vice there was never once um uh was it was an did I feel an actor felt unsafe right most of the time it was just Bonnie and I right and she she she's just she's just um she was like a big mama bear you know and I think that's where I sort of learned that from you know um but you want these folks to do well right you're sitting in the room you've got your assistant at the camera there's people waiting to come in. You've been doing this for two hours that day. There's a role. There's the sides that everybody's reading. You're reading with them. In your mind, if you could give anybody the keys to the kingdom, besides the preparation and hard work wins and do the work and all that. There's no rule. 
that's that's the problem. So you walk into to my room, right? If I've if I've got a whole team sitting there, uh, I, I'm thinking specifically the last, you know, just I'm just going back, like say the last two three years. Um, you know, for for somebody like Damien, right, on La La Land, it was um, again one of those experiences that were joy that was joyful, right? Uh, the process of creating each new experience every time another person walked in, you, you could, he was like a kid in a candy shop. It was just, he was uh, a delight to have, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in uh, sitting sit there, right there, <laughs> you know, on our furniture and participating with these, with these actors and actresses um, with his whole self present, right? Uh, I've had a couple of experiences um, I'm thinking about in television where that wasn't the case and it, it um, my protective energy became stronger towards the actors in response to that energy right and then I get and then I got a little mad <laughs> right because I didn't I didn't appreciate that from you know, sort of a dismissal, you know. They might not be right for the role, but, you know, they're good at what they do, so have a little respect, right? If I feel like there's an actor that comes in my room and I feel they're being obsequious, that's a trigger for me. I don't like it, right? I don't, I really just want you to Come on, let's let's make the meatloaf together. Let's let's do this, right? You know what I mean. I I'm, be polite, be respectful. If you there there was a, a very difficult movie we were doing, emotionally difficult, and I would make sure, especially if I had my team, uh, you know, producer and the directors, you know, in 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 the room. Um, since I always read with everybody and I have somebody behind the camera right that's right there to make sure everything is running smoothly for that particular movie i would go out to the waiting room myself i'd make sure that people were okay right if they need anything and i would walk the actor in myself i, I tell you what what you know just 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 a just a a, a bit of encouragement that way do you know what I mean? Makes the difference between a, a good experience and a bad experience for them as they walk into a room, right? The nerve level sort of, they you can feel them relax a little bit, you know? Hey, we're going to do this together. So, I, I, you know, if they had to be, it was in a, in very emotional scenes and I would make sure to sort of check in with them. Do you want to chat first or I think this person's ready to go? I would walk in the door and say to my team, I think we're ready to go. Um, okay. And then we chat after. Now, if a person comes in and they're comfortable making that transition to sort of chatting first, you know, and then they're comfortable enough to get in back into it, you know, and they can flat, that's fine. That's their choice. Um, things that um, you shouldn't do.
Don't be discourteous. Sometimes, especially in television, the wait is long. If you have to reschedule, reschedule. But know that we're doing the best we can as well, right? Sometimes we can't control it all, right, as much as you'd like to. Sometimes a person has to take a phone call and all of a sudden we're 25 minutes behind schedule, right? Um, that was the hardest part of my job um, when we were, you know, involved in television, uh, if that would happen. And I would feel the pressure of those folks waiting and the time, the time, the time, you know? Because imagine what they're feeling as they're sitting in there, right? So you feel that pressure. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Do you like it when somebody walks in and makes that original joke that lightens the mood before it starts or do you prefer they don't do that you know it all depends on the on the situation sometimes they come in and they make a joke just when it's so tense and you're like oh my god thank you <laughs> <laughs> you know and everybody and it lightens the room up you know but i think they have to read the room as much as we have to read the room what i tell everybody is this the bottom line is and again please shut me down it doesn't matter whether you tell a joke up front or you don't. Doesn't matter if you talk afterwards or you don't. If your performance, when you start your first word until you finish your last word, is better than everybody else that's auditioned, and everybody in that room believes you're mm -hmm. better than everybody else that auditioned, it doesn't matter what personality you had at that point because at that point they're looking for the best athlete available on the board well i, I i'm going to say yes and no um yes we're looking for the best actor we're looking for this you know we're looking for, for that particular role um yes but as i said previously i'm also casting my set right and and there's just too much money at stake but you can always have the meeting with the person afterward just to see how they are as a person. Well, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of these people we know, right? I mean, we know them for years, right? So, and if they're new, you sit down. You definitely sit down before, right? You know, and and meet with them and talk with them. And the directors do that too. Here's what I don't like. When you come in and willfully do something to distract, Right. I got a lot of that on Primal Fear especially because young folks, you know, the, 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 the young gents that came in, if they weren't prepared, it was like they would do this little, like, look over here, 
don't pay attention to the fact that I'm really not prepared. And that, that really was, that wasn't good. One of my favorite audition stories, and it's not even involving a show that you would say is real acting. And it doesn't involve somebody who's a household name, but I'll never forget it. A guy who created the show Punked, Jason Goldberg, mm -hmm. he auditions all the actors that do these acting behind the scenes where there's only one take. You only have one shot to sell it. <laughs> That's funny. And these people are pranking yeah. somebody and they have to act the part. And like you say, you know, I was calling about this actor named Kirk Fox, who is in his 40s. And he said, he's too old. I said, just have him come in. Please just have him come in. And Jason's process for these shows is the person just is sitting in the room. He walks in, he shakes their hand, he sits down and he <laughs> says, tell me a story. Oh, yeah, sure. And so I don't know where that originated. Mm. And they'll tell a story. And if they act out the story or they tell the story in a way that's so magical and special, mm. he'll hire them. So Kirk Fox is waiting. He's waiting. And you talk about the wait. It was a longer wait than normally sitting in this office. Finally, Jason Goldberg comes in. He shakes his hand. He sits down. He says to Kirk, tell me a story. And Kirk looked at him and said, you tell me a fucking story. And Jason Goldberg stood up, he shook his hand, and he said, you're hired. I always think that when you're doing something and you're going into a room, not only do you have to work hard, but you have to make a choice. You have to make choices to how you read the script and how you interpret yes. the script, and you have to take risks. And Kirk Fox, even though it's not a straight acting job, he took a risk. He could have lost the job immediately, but he got the job. And I think a lot of actors need to take those risks. I agree with you. Um, Edward certainly did that in Primal Fear. Um, I have to say, uh, way, going way back, um, you know, when uh, a young Brittany Murphy, a young Adrian Brody, you know, these young folks in New York as they were coming up, you know, uh, that would happen a lot. There was a lot of, a lot of that fresh sort of, um, sort of take on, on, on what they would do. And they were so unique to they, their own persona, who they are was so unique that it already gave it a different spin. So I, I kind of believe that you want to know the playground you're in right so that you know where you are now okay so i i can hear like a lot of actors thinking yeah but i don't have the script right so how the hell am i supposed to build this world from the sides there's a way to do it um where even if you're wrong you've made a choice so you build your house and then you get in there and you de start decorating right but you have to do it from the bottom up right and you really have to do it um and i'm i'm again a I've done it my entire career, what she taught me. And uh, I do it for casting. If I can do it for casting, and there are how, you know, how many roles, you can do it for one role, right? And you can take all kinds of clues from what other characters say about you, what you say about yourself, what the author says about you, right? I mean, you can build a foundation, and from that you can bounce. And then you, you build it from your lens, right? 
and that that um, we all we all move through this crazy world, and it hits us in our own way or in our own unique way. You understand what I mean? As long as you do justice, I'm not saying personalize it in that way and use substitution. I'm not a fan of that, but um, as you honor what is written. Right, and you try to honor what is written and what that message, what that author spent, how many years writing, right? But you're seeing, you know, you're we all we all move through time and space in a different way, right? As uh, you know, as long as you do that foundational work, make it yours and go. You're involved in one of the greatest films of the last decade, or at least it was just so interesting and unique in La La Land. You're a part of this special group of people. Presumably, you're either in the Academy Award Theater or you're watching at home, and something happens that has rarely, if ever, happened to anybody in the world, let alone a casting director or actors or actresses. The universe, funny. Um, so, Trisha and I are Academy members, right? Um, and Trish, uh, we we sort of decided, hey, you know what? And we've never done this before. Well, that's not true. I did it once before um, on Shawshank, I think. We put in, f and Primal, um, so I lied. Um, <laughs> so you see, there it is, fake news. So um, we put in for the lottery, right? And then we forgot about it. And we both got the lottery at the same time. So... You had like our, our offices were all next to each other, right? Um, we're on Hollywood and Vine in the old Taft building, and you could just hear like one X, like, ah, right? And then you hear like from the other, <laughs> ah, right? and then we come running into each other's rooms, and like we we got we got the lottery, and and uh, oh my god! So we each have two tickets, and it occurred to us pretty much at the same time. Holy shit! Let's. Let's all go. And so we did. And um, we, we decided to get dressed at the office. <laughs> <laughs> so we all met at the office. And we all got dressed and got ready at the office um, and then hopped into Trisha's car and off we went. We just, we, we could have walked. We're a mile away. So we did. And then we're in there and we're just having a great time. Um, and then that event happens and it was the strangest damn thing right i mean we just were so it, it was it was very confusing as well and so you're hugging each other jumping well, no, up i mean we just right i mean we just we stood up and we just and then sort of from where we were sitting like we were in you know we could see sort of the wings and there was a lot of activity with uh you know gals and guys in with headsets and i thought to myself oh no no please no right <laughs> it's the first thing i'm thinking of right and i look at trisha and she's already up <laughs> right <laughs> and i know I'm, I'm sort of already and we sort of and then you know it happens and then jordan right i mean Elegant, classy, right? So, I mean, grace under fire. He see, he takes it and he hopes that the cameraman will see it, and they and the and the camera person does see the card, and he said, well, "We didn't win, you won." And so you're 
leaving the venue with complete confusion um and and we're we're sort of like what, what just happened <laughs> Who, what happened <laughs> and we actually had to go home uh after after we went you know um and and saw everybody at various places we we basically had to watch it back because I, I think it was it's very different when you see it on television than when you're actually right there. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. All right, I want to go way, way back. Take me back to I where you like grew up. being hypnotized. <laughs> way, way back. Take me way back to where you grew up. Was the socioeconomic dynamic? I know you talked about your dad not having a lot of money. And what was your first inspiration of getting into the business? And how did you end up meeting Stella Adler, one of the most legendary people in the business? You know, this, 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 this lady, this, this wonderful educator in this high school in Brooklyn and 60th Street and Bay, Bay, Bay Ridge, you know, and there she is. Um, smart as a whip, this one. And uh, let us dream. She let us dream. Um, I said that to her at brunch a couple of months ago. I said, you let us dream and I want to thank you for that and I hope you're still doing that for the, for the girls that are there. And from this, the um, the you know when I when I sort of look at at uh, where a lot of these careers of these young women are going, I think she's still doing a pretty good job. Um, Brooklyn back then was different than it is now. Uh, it was kind of a magical place to grow up, and it was a really hard place to grow up. Uh, it was pretty uh, factionalized. Um, you know, as a as a young woman growing up in uh, different areas of of Brooklyn, you 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 learned. Uh, you you just got a streetwise uh, sense of the world. In addition to um, that other side, which was you know sort of a, a strict sort of parochial school education. And then there was the family dynamic at home. You know, um, I come from an Italian American um, family structure, so there was that. Um, 
and and it wasn't just that my dad it wasn't a money thing it was just that it you know it was a sur- sort of circumstance that i won't go into that um never allowed my father to actually realize his own dreams and i think he was a hell of a writer and i think that he pushed us um uh to make sure that we would never feel like he felt you know um so when I went to Bishop Carney, um, I made I made damn sure that I explored everything that they had to sort of offer us, as most of these very amazing women, these strong women did. Um, I got into NYU. Uh, when I got there, um, I knew that it was the dramatic arts, and I didn't know which part of it, you know? Um, and when you go when you enter Tisch, there were five different sort of schools that you could study at, um, and it was recommended to me uh, by one of my advisors that I audition for the Adler Conservatory, and I had no idea what they were talking about. Right? It was I think at the time it was Circle in the Square, Strasbourg, Adler, uh, and there were two others: Ron Argerlandis uh, Theater Without Walls, I think it was called, and then there was one other I can't remember. Um, and I auditioned for Stella, and I, I was so young. I was so young. I was, I was, I was seventeen, and in I walk into this room, and there's this woman sitting in a throne, which to me was absurd. Think about where I was raised, right? So I didn't, I didn't. That that looked so. Um, we were in, just in this in this odd room, and there was this throne, and she looked incongruous to the rest of her surroundings. And I thought to myself, "What the hell am I?" Right? But I was also nervous, and I did this monologue. I don't remember any of it. I don't remember any of it except that I do. You know, Stella was a beautiful woman. She was very tall, and she had these dancing blue eyes. They sparkled like diamonds. And I remember, <laughs> she must have thought I looked like an alien um i had a very very thick brooklyn accent very thick and um you know it's sort of the red hook and the bensonhurst right and she said to me um she's sort of zeroed in on me and she said to me who are you and why are you here and why should i accept you into my school and I don't really remember what I said to her because I was so scared. But I do remember standing because she was on this throne. And I, she was like, so I needed to stand and, and sort of show her, right, everything that Virginia Lake had taught me, right, was I think I, I, think I can do well here. I think I, think I have... I'd like to learn from you, and I think that I need to get out of here because you're scaring the shit out of me. And we had this exchange, and then she asked me to do the monologue again, and she asked me if I knew what it was about and what I thought thematically it was about, and that I could that I could answer. Then I felt like, okay, I'm home. You want to talk time and place? You want to talk themes? You want to talk about the author? Because I know I read all about it, right? And those dancing eyes, then she smiled. And I thought, okay, I can do this. 
And then I did it again. And then I needed to leave <laughs> really fast. And then she called me back and she asked to sit with me and talk with me. And she asked a lot about my parents and my brother, who at the time was at Juilliard. Um, he's now the um, provost of a university. So uh, dad and mom did okay. And she took you under her wing and... Yeah, I mean, we uh, I was pretty much terrified of her most of the time um, and did my best to, un to, under that pressure, under that cloud of fear, um, which I swore to God I would never... Mm -mm. That was the thing that I was never going to take. But then she could turn around and love you and nurture you and just encourage you just with a smile. So how did you know that casting was for you? I didn't know what, who Steph was. I didn't know anything. So how did it happen? Because of Sandra Lee. Because um, she was a great teacher. Um, but who teaches casting? No, no, no. She told me, she, she's, <laughs> Sandra and I were laughing about this again in April when I saw her. Um, she um, just had this instinct. She said, I think you'd be good, kid. I think, <laughs> I think you'd be good in this job. But you still had to get a job somewhere. Well, no, she set me up with Bonnie. But you still have to go interview for Bonnie. Yeah, I did, but. I don't, again, it was just so fast. I mean, I think she really just needed somebody fast. Because back then, instead of a computer, you had boxes and boxes of headshots and videotapes all over the office. Boxes, altar. headshots, binders, which I still keep today, even though Trisha tells me I shouldn't. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm reticent to go digital, but I do. But I still like my paper. But, yeah, Bonnie hired me and... Um, that was then we were off to the races there was no time there was just no time all right your proudest moment in show business Ugh, i don't what you don't have one i do this is too much pressure oh okay <laughs> i'm sorry really proudest moment when i had my babies <laughs> wasn't there something in show business one thing that stands out la la land definitely primal fear shawshank sex lies um my experience at Paramount and uh, learning uh, during those almost eight years. And then going back to a studio, I have to tell you, going back to a studio after, after, at, at, as a mature adult with a lot of experience to sort of, sort of fortify me, right? And, and everybody that, my, one of my proudest experiences, all right, you want to ask is, keeping this family at Aquila Wood together during that god-awful recession and somehow, somehow making it through. I don't know how we did it, but we did it. And we're still together. So, I mean, that's I'm proud of that. And, uh, and then being at Lionsgate, I mean, they're really awesome, I have to tell you. I've done three movies there. Amazing company. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how it fueled you to get to the next level or a higher level in your career. I remember one specifically. I'm not going to name names. After, after Sex Lies, I started to come to Los Angeles more and more because studio films started um, to hire me. And I had to do New York and Los Angeles. At that time, they had the budget for those things. 
So they actually put you on a plane and housed you. So, uh, and I do remember working on a film. Uh, again, I didn't know this place at all very well, right? I, I, it, was, it was all New York all the time. And uh, I do remember uh, an experience where it was the first day of the first round of sessions and it was um, the actors were not, they just weren't being respected the way I thought that they should be. You, you just, it just didn't happen that way in New York. Um, and I, I got a little upset <laughs> and I was very disappointed by the behavior um, and so I said something. I was really, again, 30, I, I must have been in my early 30s. And to see a, an actress, um, a, a talented, very well-known actress being dismissed, that was a low point for me because I couldn't do anything in the room to protect them. But I could when they left and I did. Last question. What advice do you have for the young actor or the young actress trying to make a difference and take their career to the next level? And also what advice do you have for the young person who wants to be a casting director and wants to break into your profession and how do they do it and get to do the kind of significant work and work with the kind of directors and actors that you've been a part of? As far as, as the, the actor-actress side, you know, to just, here's, here's something, here's something that I would want to say to, to actors and actresses. You know, dancers dance every day and musicians practice three to four hours a day, right? If you are not in class, right, at least once or twice a week, you're doing yourself a disservice, right? No, and, and nobody, you, you have the right to act. Nobody has to give you permission to act. Right? So just you take it on. You empower yourself. And that it's either by class, right? Putting up putting up plays. There is a great theater scene in Los Angeles. I can't stand when people say theater in Los Angeles. I'm a New Yorker and I say that. So uh, right, but and you have the ability today, which didn't exist years ago, of creating your own content. In any way that you're gonna chase that dream, do it. And for the young person who casting wants directors. to be a casting director? Um, in turn, uh, know your film history. Boy, the, I'm going to sound like a real old lady when I say this. Don't waste your time. Just just, just don't waste time. Make use of, of every second. And if it's not watching something in the theater, it's watching something on, on you know, cable at home. Um uh, watching television, knowing if you're going to be a casting director today, you have a lot to watch and a lot of actors to, to, to learn and go to the theater, please go to the theater. Cause that's when you're going to learn about acting. If you like, if you, if you don't come from a conservatory, if you're not trained in, in that craft and you're coming up, say through a business school or something, and you really just love this, that's the way you're going to learn about acting. Deb Aquila, I'm so grateful that you came here. It meant a lot to me. Thank you so much. Our audience is going to be blown away by this. 
really, they will be. Thank you so much. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money Drop that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley A fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.